self-development with tactics. So, we're gonna go ahead with the meaning of life in the sense of answers from philosophy. Well, yeah, once again, uh, a ton of windows popping up. Um, anyway, answers from philosophy. This is the article that I went through, I guess, three days ago or something. <laughs> I've unfortunately didn't find the motivation or um, willingness to go through the rest of it because it is actually a very long article, as you can indicate by this scroll wheel thing next to the cursor. But yeah, answers from philosophy. I think this is what we're going to go through today. And um, I guess that this, that this is actually going to be it because it is quite something. It really is quite something. Um, but yeah, let's actually see what philosophy is saying about the meaning of life. Consideration of life's meaning has occupied the minds of history's greatest thinkers from Plato to Einstein, or Einstein actually, since it's German. Greek philosophers. According to Plato's The Republic from 375 BC, the purpose of life is the pursuit of knowledge of the idea of the good. Plato considered this ideal to be the source of all good things, knowledge, beauty, truth, and also justice. Plato's student Aristotle believed the highest aim for human is eudaimonia, a Greek word embodying happiness and well-being. What is the highest good in all matters of action? To the name, there is an almost complete agreement. For uneducated and educated alike, call it happiness and make happiness identical with the good life and successful living. They disagree, however, about the meaning of happiness. This is a quote by Aristotle in Nicomachean Ethics um, 1.4 from 340 BC. Aristotle recognized that happiness means different things to different people and even to the same person in different times. After sickness, it is health and in poverty, it is wealth. While when they are impressed with the consciousness of their ignorance, they admire most those who say grand things that are above or above their comprehension. Which is a quote, by the way. Epicurus believed that intrinsically pleasure is the only good and pain only evil. He taught that the best life is free of fear and free of pain. When we say then that pleasure is the end and aim, we do not mean the pleasures of the prodigal or the pleasures of sens sensuality, as we are understood to do by some through ignorance, prejustice or willful misinterpretation or mis representation. By pleasure we mean the absence of pain in the body and of trouble in the soul. Which, as I'm thinking about it, not only the pain in the body, but, but I think especially trouble in the soul. And I do think that it is actually a pretty great wording for, um, for things. I mean, yeah, having trouble in your soul is not going to be good. You're going to feel bad. You're not going to feel feel pretty amazing about yourself, about your life, about whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's actually quite amazing, to be honest. I don't know if, if you know, some can share that, how should I say, interest in this one line per se. But yeah, anyway. Middle Ages. The 8th century Buddhist monk 
Santideva advocated an effort to, quote-unquote, or quote-unquote, to stop all the present and future pain and suffering of all satian beings and to bring about all present and future pleasure and happiness. Which is a quote, by the way. Uh, Santideva wrote the uh, Bodhikariyavatara, which is popular in Tibet to this day. The Dalai Lama called it his favorite religious work. I should dispel the misery of others because it is... By the way, gotta change something. Um, yesterday, I... Well, not not even kind of, but I, but I had a cheat day. Um, was eating quite a lot. And also today I was eating different things like fried and stuff. And it's, yeah, consciously not that much. But I'm gonna stand up. I'm gonna stand up. So now we're gonna go ahead because even though this it's not that much more, um, standing does uh, burn a bit more calories. Just got a comment. Your views are super few. Yeah, <laughs> I know, man. I know. But anyway, it's actually not doing me any good those cheat days. Um, for the soul, yeah, maybe. Physically, definitely not. I feel not that good today. But yeah, anyway, even though physically, in terms of appearance, I do look quite good today, which is a surprising thing. And I guess that I fucked up something, um, probably when it comes to, to fat intake. But yeah. Another topic for another video. Uh, Santi Deva wrote the Bodhika something, which is a popular in Tibet to this day. The Dalai Lama called it his favorite religious work. And there is a quote, I should dispel the misery of others because it is suffering just like my own. And I should benefit others because they are sentient beings just like myself. From 700 AD. One of the great works of Middle Age philosophy is Summa Theologica, summary of theol. Uh, theo theology, theology, yeah, by the Christian theologian uh, Thomas Aquinas. It remains a cornerstone of Catholic thought and teaching. Aquinas wrote that th that perfect happiness cannot be found on earth and only comes with a future union with God, the universal good. And there's a quote. It is impossible for any created good to constitute man's happiness, for happiness is the perfect good which lulls the appetite altogether, else it would not be the last end if something yet remains to be desert. desired. I'm sorry. Now the object of the will, i.e. of man's appetite, is the universal good, as the object of the intellect is the universal true. Hence it is evident that naught can lull man's will save the universal good. Um, from Summa Theologica, from 1485. Aquinas advocated that on earth man lead a life of virtue, which he defined as having, quote-unquote, a good habit productive of good works. Enlightenment. The enlightenment was marked by the introduction of the scientific method, and uh, which, by the way, that I've... I think I've covered it in, in some videos before, but yeah... And a rejection of absolute monarchies. In that place emerged constitutional governments with powers limited by law supporting individual rights, liberty and religious freedom. Liberalism. John Locke 
whom you all know, I guess, was one of the greatest influences behind this transition. He is considered the father of classic liberalism, the idea that protecting individual liberty and balancing the rights of individuals across society is the highest aim and mission of government. Locke's writings influenced the founders of the United States as well. Sir Thomas Jefferson considered Locke, together with Bacon and Newton, to be the three greatest men that have ever lived. In the Declaration of Independence, Jefferson quotes, quotes Locke almost verbatim when he wrote that man possess un, unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. As Aristotle noticed millennia before, people have different conceptions of happiness. By ensuring individual liberty, each person is free to pursue happiness in a manner they see most fit. The next point, utilitarianism. The Enlightenment witnessed other rediscoveries of old ideas, channeling Epicurus, the philosopher Jeremy Bentham, or Bentham, Bentham, wrote, Nature has placed mankind under the governance of two sovereign masters, pain and pleasure. It is for them to alone to point out what we ought to do, as well as to determine what we shall do. On the one hand, the standard of right and wrong, on the other, the chain of causes and effects, are fastened to their throne, which is from the principles of morals and legislation from 1780. 1780. Bentham referred to the inherent value of either promoting happiness or avoiding unhappiness as utility, which he defines as, by utility is meant that property in any object whereby it tends to produce benefit, advantage, pleasure, good, or happiness, all this is in the present case comes to the same thing, or what comes again to the same thing, to prevent the happiness of mischief, pain, evil, or unhappiness to the party whose interest is considered. If that party be the community in general, then the happiness of the community, if a particular individual, then the happiness of that individual. Uh, this view is called utilitarianism. It is the idea that the motivation behind all rightful action is based on maximizing utility. And I do want to repeat utility once again. By utility is meant that property in any object whereby it tends to protect, produce benefit, advantage, pleasure, good or happiness, all this in the present case comes to the same thing, or what comes again to the same thing, to prevent the happening of mischief, pain, evil or unhappiness to the party whose interest is considered. If that party be the community in general, then the happiness of the community. But if uh, happiness of the, the party whose interest is considered, if that party be the community in general, then the happiness of the community. If a particular, what then the happiness of the community. If a particular individual, then the happiness of that individual. Modern times, which is uh, once again the next point. Before Charles Darwin's 1859-95, I'm sorry, publication of On the Origin of Species, the appearance of life and order in nature could only be explained by the existence of some divine plan or design. Modern philosophies seek meaning in life that arose naturally, some might say accidentally, without a divine purpose, reason, or intention. And that's actually some sort of a family tree thing. And on the very top, we're having man. Then there is gorilla and orangutans, chimpanzees, gibbon, ape man, bats, apes. And on the very, very bottom, we're having monera. 
as well as egg animals and infusoria and worms and primitive worms and the corda animals and so on and so on which by the way is ernst or ernst heckel's tree of life from the evolution of man 1879 97 i'm sorry no 79 it's it's all right depicts humanity emerging from simpler life forms rather than a direct act of creation by god nihilism and when we're talking about nihilism who should we talk about but friedrich nietzsche Believe that the idea that good is dead leads to nihilism, a denial that life has any meaning, purpose or value. A nihilist is a man who judges of the world as it is that it ought not to be. And of the world as it ought to be that it does not exist. According to this view, our existence, action, suffering, willing, feeling has no meaning. I repeat... A nihilist is a man who judges of the world as it is that it ought not to be and of the world as it ought to be that it does not exist. According to this view, our existence, action, suffering, willing and feeling has no meaning. Which is by Friedrich Nietzsche in The Will to Power, published in 1910. While nihilism rejects the value of life, materialist and naturalist philosophers reject only a purpose to life. In Richard Dawkins' The God's Delusion, James Watson, the co-discoverer of DNA, embodied this view when he said, I don't think we are for anything, we are just the products of evolution. Many biologists now believe that if life has any inherent meaning, it rests solely in terms of the propagation and survival of genes, which is then also going to include like uh, reproduction and stuff like that, I guess. So Einstein, however, rejected the view that life is meaningless. And there is a quote, What is the meaning of human life, or for that matter, of the life of any creature? To know an answer to this question means to be religious. You ask, does it make any sense, then, to pose this question? I answer, the man who regards his own life and that of, the, of his fellow creatures as meaningless is not merely unhappy, but hardly fit for life. Which is by Albert Einstein in... Uh, mein Weltbild or my my worldview from 1934. Uh, hu humanism, uh, defying Nietzsche's prediction, humanism is a non-religious philosophy that recognizes value and purpose in human existence. Humanism is a progressive philosophy of life that, without supernaturalism, affirms our ability and responsibility to lead ethical lives of personal fulfillment that aspire to the greater good of humanity. We aim for our fullest possible development and animate our lives with a deep sense of purpose, finding wonder and awe in the choice and beauties of human existence. The third humanist manifesto from uh, 2003. The next, naturalistic pantheism. Rather than see no meaning in the natural world, naturalistic pantheism finds meaning in all of it. It reverses uh, reverses, yes, all life everywhere, as well as the universe and environments that makes that make life possible. Naturalistic pantheism can be viewed as a broadening of humanism to bring respect for the rights and lives or lives of all creatures. Paul Harrison, who launched the world pantheistic movement in 1997, advocates an active respect and care for the rights of all humans and other living beings, which I better think is a good idea. I mean, 
yeah, animal rights and stuff like that. I think it is very important, especially when it comes to animals that we're eating, you know, so that we are not killing them uh, just so horribly and, and stuff like that. This is what I'm mainly having in mind. According to this view, the meaning of life is to care for and respect nature, the environment and all forms of life. There's actually a, a summary of answers. On the question of the meaning of life, we have reviewed answers from ancient civilizations, world religions and philosophical traditions. We are left with a smattering of answers with no clear consensus, but despite a lack of consensus, we have noticed common themes. The first point is live virtuously. The Asian Egyptians and Thomas Aquinas say we ought to live a virtuous life with the promise of a happy and eternal afterlife. Confucianism says virtue leads to a happier and more peaceful life here on earth and Hinduism considers it a duty or dharma. Enjoy life. The Asian Sumerians say we should eat, drink and be merry. The Hindus call this karma. Aristotle called it happiness, Epicurus and uh, Santideva called it pleasure. Liberalism recognized self-defined pursuit of happiness. Utilitarianism advocates maximizing happiness. Reduce suffering. This is the primary objective in Buddhism and also advocated by Santideva and utilitarianism. It is implicit in humanism and naturalistic pantheism whose ethics say we must respect life. Development growth. The Asian Persian said the purpose of life is to collect experiences for the fight of good versus evil. Plato said it is to gain knowledge of the good. The Mormons say it is to gain experience and development and develop ourselves to experience the fullest of joy. Sikhism says life's purpose is to learn and for our soul to blossom forth in lush profusion. Confucianism says we can find meaning in ordinary human experience then improve the world, so not only ourselves, but also the world around us. Uh, Judaism says working to build a better world is the primary aim of life. Hinduism recognizes the importance of work, Artha or Artha. The aim of Confucianism is to fish, fashion uh, a harmonious society. Shinto says humanity's purpose is to be a self-developing creative spirit on earth. Thomas, or Thomas, whatever, but I think it is Thomas, isn't it? Equinus says, on earth, our purpose is to be productive of good works. Naturalistic per pantheism, I'm sorry, says to rever, well, rever, I think it is reverse the natural environment, or rever, I don't actually know, love others. Christianity says to love uh, the neighbor as yourself. Islam advocates charity and wishing for your brother what you wish for yourself. Confucianism says... What you do not wish for yourself, do not do to others. And Taoism says to see and love the world as yourself. Humanism preaches aspiring to the greater and good of humanity. Which I, by the way, think is, is a good idea. Like always expecting people to be good internally and not bad. Or not expecting but assuming. Divine union. Many religions say the final aim of life is to realize uh, a oneness with God or to otherwise reunite or merge with God. Hindus, Hindus call this moksha. Taoists say all things return to their source. And Sikhs say we will merge into the one from whom we came. Thomas Aquinas says perfect happiness exists only in a union with God. And Islam says happiness in the afterlife depends on one's 
proximity to God. These uh, purported meanings of life all sound like noble aims, but which, if what, but which, if any, is right? Could there be, as the Hindus say, multiple answers? All these answers appear to dance around something more fundamental, a common theme, but what unifying principle connects them? Which is going to be the topic of the next episode, I would say, a unifying principle. And so on, which uh, looks a bit more scientific than the other things that we went through. Um, but yeah, I think that I'm going to end the episode there, so... Uh, yeah, have a good day and a good life. And I'll see you soon. So, bye-bye.